Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kievman. Wonderful to be with you here taking a quick short one hour break from our very busy Yom Tov schedule. It is in fact the midst of the festival of Sukkot, so we wish each other a good Moed, Moedim B'Simcha. It is days full of festivity and joy. Here at Chabad House, we hosted 150 senior citizens yesterday for our annual Sukkot party, which unfortunately took a two-year hiatus during the COVID pandemic. But thank God we are back, and it was really great to be celebrating together once again. And, of course, I am driving around throughout the day with our mitzvah tank and mobile sukkah. We've been visiting retirement facilities and hospitals and offices and private homes throughout Johannesburg of people who have requested. So if you want to visit from the sukkahmobile, just let me know. And if possible, we will try to come over to you and incorporate and give you the opportunity to have a bracha in the sukkah with us to bench the little of an esrog. And for that reason, I thought today what we should do is take some time to talk a little bit about the festival of sukkahs. Of course, the first two days of the Yom Tev have already passed. And now we are holding during Chal Hamayad, the intermediate, intermediate days of the holiday. And of course, we have the, the final days, the festivities of Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah, which are coming up, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about those a little bit as well. Of course, most Jewish holidays celebrate specific events. We know that Pesach celebrates the exodus from Egypt, and Shavuos, we celebrate God's giving us the Torah at Mount Sinai. Here we are in Sukkot. What are we celebrating? To tell you the truth, a lot of people seem to be confused and uncertain about that. So let me share with you, as we read in the Torah portions, because it's not a specific event. Sukkot celebrates... In fact, a 40-year event. It's commemorating, recalling, remembering our ancestors' journey through the desert for 40 years. So how do we do so? Well, very easy. It's a festive and joyous holiday. During this Yom Tov, we eat in our sukkah. And of course, what is the connection, the link between the sukkah and the journey through the desert? First of all, the sukkah reminds us of the miraculous clouds of glory. You know, there was a cloud canopy that protected our ancestors from the desert elements during their journey. And secondly, our ancestors lived in simple tents, just like our temporary flimsy little sukkahs. For 40 years, they tented in the desert. And from this perspective, the point of the sukkah is to remind us to be grateful for what we have, the comfort of our homes. The Gemara, in fact, talks about this in great detail and tells us that the sukkah also reminds us that we are in Hashem's hands. We are in Almighty God's embrace. And just as we are in Hashem's hands when God took us out of Egypt so long ago and God performed all those wonders and miracles for our ancestors in the desert, we are still in Hashem's embrace and hands to this very day. And although you could say that all Jewish festivals are certainly joyful, but Sukkot is particularly joyful. In fact, how have we been referring to this, to the festival of Sukkot in our prayers? Zaman Simchaseinu, the time of our joy. Now why? Every, uh, every time we say something, you know, I got people present right here with us during our discussion asking why. So 
Firstly, historically, God forgave our ancestors for the sin of the golden calf, Yom Kippur, which was just one week ago, right? So the festival of Sukkot was established just five days later to rejoice over Hashem's forgiveness for all of our sins. So just as God forgave us for the sin of the golden calf, God atones, God forgives us, pardons us for all our sins now. And so we're celebrating that forgiveness on Sukkot right after Yom Kippur. And just as God forgave our ancestors, God grants us that pardon and forgiveness for a good year ahead. So we're celebrating not just God's forgiveness of our ancestors for the sin of the golden calf, but we are celebrating God's forgiveness of our sins today as well. And the intense connection that we forged with Hashem on the high holidays, the days of all, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, now... We go from the fasting to the feasting, from the awe to the joy, by expressing that joy, that vindication, that victory of a good verdict. So this is what we're doing on Sukkot, celebrating exactly that. Hasidus tells us that the joy, that, that joy itself is a state of revelation. And we see that from the fact that when we're in a state of joy, we tend to open up about our secrets. The Gemara says, When the wine comes in, the secrets come out. So perhaps the idea of the Sukkah celebrations is all about that we are confident that we were granted, please God, a good sweet year ahead. And we're celebrating that now on Sukkah. Sukkah is also called Chag HaAsif. The festival of ungathering. It's a time of joy because it falls in Israel during, excuse my, the pun, it falls during fall, during the autumn season. And that's when Jews in Israel would gather in their harvest for indoor storage. All of the Jewish holidays are related to an agricultural season and celebration as well. So on Pesach, the Torah doesn't tell us to actually rejoice because the crops are not fully ripe. On Shavuos, the Torah tells us to rejoice, but it's only mentioned once, and that's because the crops are harvested, but since the crops are still in the field and they're not yet ready to be eaten, so our joy cannot be complete because it's not yet ripe and it's not yet a complete product. But on Sukkot, the Torah instructs us to rejoice twice. Why does the Torah tell us two times to rejoice? Because now that the crops are in our homes, we could relax, we could truly rejoice about our bounty. And therefore... This is Zaman Simchasenu, the festivity of our joy, as the Torah tells us twice to the Hayisa Achsameach to be joyous. And the Rebbe explains this concept, this Madrash. He says, although most Jews no longer work in agriculture, here we are in South Africa, and most of us have other business matters that we're involved with. But the harvest, the gathering of the crops still plays out on a spiritual level. You see, on Pesach, our ancestors had a muna, they had faith, but they weren't yet given the mitzvahs with which to serve Hashem. They had complete faith in God, which is why the exodus took place. They, they went blindly into the desert, leaving behind that which, all that which they knew. So that's like having crops in the field that aren't yet ripe. They had the faith, but they didn't yet have the mitzvahs. On Shavuos, we received the mitzvahs but we didn't yet have a chance to actually observe and fulfill them. They were given to us, but we 
we hadn't yet made them our own to actually fulfilling them. They were just given to us. We had to process and understand it. Even though we said, Nasav and Ishma, we will do it regardless of our understanding of it. But that was a stage of doing so without appreciating them. And this is like harvesting the ripened crop, but the crop is still in the field. It's not yet in our homes. We have the mitzvahs, but we're not yet fully appreciating them. But now comes the festival of Sukkot, which is followed by Shemini Atzeret and Sunchas Torah. And on Sukkot, which is only a few months after God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, just a few months of observing these mitzvahs, now we could say that we have brought the Torah way of life into our homes. We have made it our own. We have experienced it. We live it. And this is the equivalent of gathering the crops into the home. And though our ancestors committed a terrible sin during this time, the fact that they repented and were forgiven on Yom Kippur, that demonstrates that we can remain true to the Torah under all conditions, regardless of any capricious winds, any wit, any, any, uh, any situations that get in the way, challenges, struggles, any banners in the wheel, even with the greatest temptations that exist. And that's why we truly rejoice on this festival. So the Rebbe gives us this beautiful explanation how the agricultural celebration of Sukkot is related to the festivity on a spiritual level. That just as Sukkot is the time of the ingathering, that we bring the crops into our homes. Well, likewise, in a similar sense, we have the opportunity here to rejoice because we could celebrate the Torah and mitzvahs regardless of the challenges and struggles that Hashem forgave us in Yom Kippur for the most grievous sin, an act of infidelity and betrayal against God. And so when we bring in that bountiful harvest as our ancestors, as the Jews did when they came to the land of Israel, sometimes it's easy to get haughty to forget that the bounty is God-given. And maybe that's why we, this festivity, we go outside as well because we're doing so God gave us this, this festival that we could thank Him with humility for His generosity. So now we're outside in the sukkah. Although we have our crops gathered into our homes, we realize, well, there's still, we're still vulnerable. And as many of us know, no matter how wealthy or healthy a person could be, horror could strike at any time and things could get in the way. And so we take this opportunity here as we go into our sukkahs to remember that we are still vulnerable to anything. And just like the sukkah, it has to be a temporary dwelling place. It has to be one, you know, we've been celebrating now for a few days, and the main mitzvahs were the rejoicing in the sukkah, as well as taking in the arba minim. So I'd like to talk about both of those a little bit. But if we think about the sukkah, the roof of the sukkah can only be made of harvested foliage, something that grew from the ground, that has been cut from the ground or the tree, but has not been turned into some kind of a vessel of any sort. It has to be directly under the skies, cannot be under a tree, because this is a reminder to us that we are still somewhat vulnerable. Although many people decorate their sukkahs, all types of beautiful decorations, maybe have a little bit of a hybrid one. You know why the Chabad sukkahs the Chabad uh, decorations are so interesting because they're off the wall, right? Well, we we don't celebrate our, our we don't uh, decorate our sukkahs because, in fact, we want to appreciate the sukkah itself. 
how the, the beauty of the sukkah, the mitzvah itself. So with that in mind, we leave the walls beer. And the idea is that the sukkah itself is the beauty of the festival. But I think this idea that we're going out of the comfort of our homes, as much as we're traditionally, we were calling that our ancestors would bring their harvest back into their homes. The idea that we're going out of the home is to realize as bountiful, as abundant, as wealthy, as whatever we may have accumulated, we're still that much more vulnerable. And that takes us to the next mitzvah of Sukkot, which is important to discuss, that the Torah tells us to take the four kinds during this time. You should take for yourselves on the days of this festival the four kinds, which are the esrog, the citron, the lulav, the palm frond, the hadasim, the myrtle branches, and the aravos, which are the willow branches. There are many, many commentaries and discussions about it. The main thing I want you to know is that taking means literally to hold it. You say the bracha, if you haven't yet done this mitzvah, then you say two brachas. First, to hold the lulav, and secondly, which is for the first time that you recite, that you're doing, that you're performing this mitzvah, and you are just going to hold it. Of course, we do wave it in all directions, but at least to hold it and to take it close to your heart. Ideally, to certainly wave it in all directions, but careful how you do so, that it shouldn't get ruined in any way. Let's talk a little bit about the esrog. You know, the esrog is a unique fruit that's part of the lemon family. It grows in warm climates, such as in Israel. Yes, you can locally grow it, but I'm not so sure that, you know, it has to be done in the right way. So you want to make sure it's done properly. Speak with your personal preferred rabbi who can guide you in that. The ideal esrog actually comes from Calabria in Italy. That's Genoa. So that is a, that that you know, that's, a whole concept of the tradition of where the esrog comes from. But let's talk about the esrog itself. The esrog has to be complete with no holes, no missing sections in order for it to be kosher. If the esrog comes with a pitum, if you have a pitum, that small bulbous stem at the top of your esrog, then the pitum must remain intact for the entirety of the festival in order for that esrog to be kosher. The esrog is green at first, but oftentimes turns yellow over time. It's kosher to have a green esrog, but a yellow esrog is preferable. And the Torah calls the esrog a pre-etzadr, a beautiful fruit, or the fruit from a beautiful tree. And that's why you might see people who spent a lot of time before Yom Tov looking, selecting, analyzing to see that they could have the most beautiful specimen of an esrog. We look for one that is attractive in shape without or with few blotches. It should really look attractive. Now, the lulav is a, is a branch from a palm tree. It has many layered branches that hug the central stem. The lulav should stand straight rather than bending forward or in different directions. And also the branches should hug the stem rather than pull away from the stem. And that's why I emphasize that when you are waving the lulav, don't shake it too hard. People don't understand and oftentimes the lulav gets wrecked in no time due to that, that uh, you know, capricious waving it in different directions. The hadasim and aravis, the willow and the myrtle branches, they should have at least 51% of the leaves. Now this becomes a little bit of a concern already when you're now holding 
in the middle of Cholamayed and some of your leaves may have dried out if you didn't keep it somehow moist during the last few days. So if they have actually in fact dried out, you might want to replenish them and get more of your Aravas for the next two days of the festival because we still have tomorrow and Hashanah Rabbah to be celebrating. So they do fall off. That's just the nature of it. And that's why it's important to keep an eye on both your willows and myrtles, the Aravas and your Hadassim because if more than half of the branches beer, then you need to replace it. And certainly there are shops locally that have extra Aravas and you could go get them if you need. Now, I would suggest if yours are getting a little bit dry, maybe keep it refrigerated or at least somewhat moist in the packaging to keep it fresh over the next few days so you could still use it through Sunday and keep them fresh. On Erev, um, on Erev, on Erev, on Sunday, that will be the final day that we're going to be making usage of them. So you still do have a few more days to keep them nice and fresh and get the best usage out of your Arba Minim at every four kinds. We'll be right back after these messages. We'll talk to you just now. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman, and it's great to be with you here this afternoon as we are celebrating Chol Amayet Sukkah Sugat Mayet to everyone. And we're taking a quick break here from our Sukkah Mobile. Thank God we've had lots of celebrations at our shul, senior citizen sukkah parties, both at Chabad House and at multiple retirement facilities. And since then, driving the sukkahmobile throughout town to people at retirement facilities, at hospitals, offices and homes of people who are unable to get into their own sukkah for whatever reason, so we bring the sukkah to them. And if you would like the sukkahmobile to visit you, just let us know at Chabad House and we'll certainly try to get the sukkahmobile out to you too. As we've been talking before, Sukkot is certainly the most joyous festival of the year. Certainly every Yom Tov has an element of joy and celebration, but this is a particularly joyous holiday. And one of the joyous features of this holiday is the nightly celebrations and dances that is called Simchas Beis HaSheva, the joy of drawing the water. You see, in the ancient Beit HaMikdash, in the temple of old, nearly 2,000 years ago. But for the 410 years of the first temples in standing and the 420 years of the second temple, this was an annual celebration, the Simchas Beis HaSheva, drawing the water. Every day when the Kohanim would offer sacrifices, it was accompanied with a wine libation, Nisuchayayin, that was poured on the altar. On Sukkis, Besides for the wine libation, they would also pour nisuch amayim, there was also a water libation. The libation was poured shortly after sunrise. But the occasion was so joyous that the celebrations began the evening before and it lasted throughout the night. It was a sight to be seen. On Cholamayad nights, the temple courtyard was lit up so brilliantly that the entire city of Jerusalem was illuminated. Throughout the night, 
the sages and the leaders would dance in the temple courtyard and the people would clap and sing along. It was a time of great ecstatic joy and revelry. The Levi and the Levites would play music while the prophets would share deep prophecies and secrets of the Torah. And then before sunrise, the Levites would sound the trumpets and the people would parade down the mountain to the Shilach well where they would draw the water. And then they would parade back up to the temple and on the steps leading to the sanctuary, the Levim would sound the trumpets and the people would prostrate before Hashem. The Kohanim would then pour the libation and the people would eventually go home. And although it's true that we can no longer pour the libations today, but the Rebbe initiated a campaign of celebrating, of outdoor dancing during the nights of Sukkot. In many communities, there would be these large nightly celebrations organized during Sukkot with music, dancing on the streets. And certainly if you come to Santon Central Shul, we celebrate, we had dancing last night, and every night we try to do so. So it is appropriate to dance, to sing. If you can't make it to Shul, at least do so with your family, that you should feel the joy of Yom Tov. Of course, one wonders, you know, pouring water over the Mizbeach and the altar doesn't seem like such a profound reason for joy, especially since they poured wine every day. So what's the big deal? Why is it such a great celebration? But the truth is, if you reflect, you will realize that it is a deeply meaningful and joyous occasion. You see, the two libations, the water and the wine, they represent two ways of serving God. Wine certainly has a wonderful bouquet. We, we drink wine that has full flavor, right? Wine has got volume, it's got flavor, it's got deep, deep meaning to it. I'm no uh, wine connoisseur, as you could tell. But certainly if you know a, if you know someone who is a sommelier, perhaps, could give you the depth of understanding the various types of wines that you could appreciate. Water on the other end, really, water has no flavor at all, right? It's just, it, it's just water, but it's the elixir of life. And likewise, we could say, serving God is a highly enjoyable and spiritually satisfying endeavor. Yet, whatever fulfillment that we gain, that we derive from our relationship with Hashem, it's, it's of course finite. When we serve God purely because Hashem wants us to have this relationship with Him, that Hashem wants us to serve Him, not for our own self-satisfaction. That's when we touch the ultimate meaning of life. We're serving Hashem purely because that's what Hashem wants. So here you have this concept, this Nisuch HaMayim, which actually is not even mentioned, the water libation is not even mentioned explicitly in the Torah. We know it from the Mishnah, from the Talmud, as a halacha lemoshem Sinai, a tradition. So, yes, it's implied in the Torah, but it's something that the Mishnah tells us about. Hasidus explains that this is because the revelation in Torah Shebechsav, in the written Torah, has to be channeled through the finite medium of its precise letters. The spiritual connection that we forge through Nisu Chamaim, through the water libation, that transcends the limitation of letters. This was a tradition, something taught by Moses and passed on generation to generation. And that's why it's only recorded in the Mishnah. 
So, like we said, that we activated our deepest bond with God. Of course, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the days of awe, that's the time only on Yom Kippur would we enter the Holy of Holies, so our souls do so, so as well, so to speak. But it was an intensely private and intimate moment. On Sukkot, we move our celebrations outside. We go into the Sukkah. We bring the depth of our soul and the pinnacle of our bond with God into the open outside. At this pinnacle level, we connect with God for reasons that transcend our personal satisfaction and gain. And this revelation, as represented by the libation of water, that stimulates such profound joy that we cannot sit still. We jump into singing and dancing and joy. That's what it inspires in ourselves. And that's what we need to feel during this festival. We have to reach that stage of joy. Of course, this year we have a particularly special, joyous reason to be joyous because back in the times of the temple, every seventh year, the year after the, the year after the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, was called the year of Hakil. Hakil is Ha'am, the Torah says. On this festival, once every seven years on Sukkot, all would gather as one soul in the temple. There was no better time, of course, than Sukkot, a festival which is all about togetherness, about unity. And we would all come together as a time when the Kohen, God, the Kohen Gadol would read from the Torah scroll to the Jewish people. And it was a time of immense extra celebration, which this year commemorates as well. So let's tap into those extra celebrations that we have this year, and particularly this year, that we have so much more and extra to be celebrating, no doubt. Someone was asking about the Arba Minim. So we'll talk a little bit, go back to that for a moment, as was requested. You know, the Arba Minim, it's our way of proclaiming that we received a positive decree for a good year. As victorious armies march with their swords held high, perhaps symbolically, figuratively speaking, we lift our lulav and we celebrate our victory of a good judgment as I was discussing earlier. And among the joy, among the reasons for joy and sukkahs is that it falls during the gathering of the harvest as we mentioned. So when we gather in a plentiful crop, we are in danger of becoming boastful in that joy. So again, to ensure that our, our gratitude is there and our humility to Hashem, we gather four pleasing species that gladden the heart. And we hold them aloft in gratitude to the Almighty as is as it's explained in, in, uh, in the Talmud, Rambam elaborates. And the four species teach us to serve Hashem with our complete being. The Esrog represents the heart. The Lula represents the spine. The Myrtle represents the eyes. And the willow leaves, those look like the lips. So the message is that a mitzvah is only complete when it's fulfilled with every aspect of our being. Every fiber of our being is engaged. And of course, when you go into the sukkah, you're completely enveloped in the mitzvah. Think about how easy the mitzvahs of sukkahs are. All you got to do is take the little of an asterisk, make say a bracha, that's it, done. You go into the sukkah, you're in the sukkah, you're enveloped by the sukkah. So you're completely enveloped by the mitzvahs of this holiday so easily. The mitzvah of the four species 
also carries this idea of Jewish unity. I thought other rabbis touched on this. That's why I didn't want to. But since somebody's asking, we'll talk about that too. The esrig has a delicious taste, very pleasing aroma. And so this represents somebody who studies Torah because the study of Torah is certainly a, a, you're getting a taste of God's wisdom. And the, the aroma is symbolic of the good deeds, the mitzvahs which, which we do, which create a very pleasant fragrance around us. The lulav, which comes from a date palm tree, dates have taste, but no aroma. And that represents somebody who studies Torah, gets the taste of God's wisdom, but they lack in their good deeds. Maybe they do some mitzvahs, but if they're not doing it in the right way, there's no pleasantness, there's no good fragrance from their mitzvahs. Then of course, the hadassim, the myrtles, which have a wonderful fragrance. The aroma is great, but no taste. And that represents somebody who has lots of good deeds. They do mitzvahs but perhaps they lack in their Torah study. And then, of course, the Arava, especially since it seems to be withering away already, that represents somebody who has neither good deeds nor studies Torah. But by instructing us to bundle them together, God is telling us that when we come together, we elevate Hashem, and God atones us for our sins. The mitzvah cannot be complete if even one of them is lacking. And likewise, we as a community are incomplete when one member of our community is lacking. Like the Hebrew word tzibur, which is the meaning, which means congregation, community. It's comprised of the letters tzaddik, which is tzaddikim, the righteous, holy, good people, pious ones. Beis, the benanim, the intermediate. And resh, the reshaim, the wicked. In that sense, we need everybody to be part of the community, even if some of the individuals perhaps have a little bit of a mischievous side to themselves. We need everyone, we need all four kinds to represent the unity of the community. And if you think about it that way, the lulav's branches, they hug the stem. The leaves of the hadas, it grows in bundles of, of three, the myrtles. And the arava, the willows, it's called achvina in the Gemara and Tractate Shabbos, which means brotherly, because they grow together in unison. If you notice the way Aravot, the the willows grow, they all grow together. So you have that concept of unity in the very way in which each of these species exist. The Esrug encompasses all things. It, it, it's able to grow through all the seasons. No other fruits like that. And since true unity is only possible when we are truly humble and true bitl sub self-sublimation is only possible when we're standing before the Almighty, before Hashem. This tells us that when we take these four kinds, the Arba Minim, there is an intense revelation of godliness that forges a deep unity amongst all of us and that is part of what we're celebrating. The whole nation is to be gathered together in unity and that's what we're trying to achieve during this festival of Sukkot that we should all be together Every day is a gift. Every breath we have is a miracle. Let's be joyous. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate our unity as a community coming together. And that's why during these days of Sukkot we say hallel. We sing God's praises for all the miracles and, and wonders that God performed for our ancestors. But not only then, today too. Every day we have to appreciate the miracles we have. And so it's at times of this joy and, and celebration. 
that we recall the miracles, the salvation that God performed for our ancestors. When we experienced an extra measure of God's love and protection during the 40 years through their journey in the desert. So we gather as a community on this Yom Tov to sing God's praises. And it's important to remember that praising Hashem deepens our bond with God. It fans the flames of our love. And most important, it brings to the surface our gratitude for all those wonderful gifts that God gives us that we can appreciate each and every single day. So, one of the most beautiful parts of this holiday celebration for each of us is going to shul, singing the halal as a community. It's such a joyous and uplifting event. Each morning, as I'm with my community in shul, and we sing the songs of halal, I'm elevated, I'm uplifted to a whole new plateau, to a whole new level. And so I encourage you to sing, to join your community, go to shul, and be part of the halal singing. And of course, after halal, we have another additional part of this Sukkot festival that we do different than other holidays, and that is called Hayshinus. We take the Arba, meaning the four species in our hand, one more time after halal, and we chant the Hayshinus. That's an ancient tradition that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Mount Sinai, and it was passed down through all the generations the Gemara Sukkot talks about this, and after the Churban, after the destruction of the Temple, the status of the Hashanahs, it has what's called a Minhag Nevi'im. It has a special status of a custom from the Prophets that we perpetuate to this day. And so the purpose of the of this tradition originally was part of the joy and celebration of Sukkot, an added, elevated level of joy. In the Temple, the Jews would lean tall willow branches against the altar, and they would parade around the altar each day of Sukkot while sounding the trumpet and praying for divine salvation. Of course, now that the temple's destroyed, we still do this as ordained by our sages, that we parade around the bima, since we don't have a mezbeach, an altar, and that's what it, you know, symbolizing it. And we do that every day of Sukkot, each day, we hold the little of an estrog in one hand. You can hold the sitter in the other hand. And this is one of the remembrances of the celebrations that was done back in the times of the temple. So we take a Torah scroll, we put it in the middle on the bima, and somebody usually holds it. And we, in our shul actually, we have a Sephardic Torah. So we place it there and we go around holding our Arba Minim, singing and celebrating this remembrance of the temple times which we continue to this day. During these days of Cholomayed, the intermediate days of the festival, we should increase in our joy every day. We continue with Hallel and Hashinas and Musaf. We continue, we have these additional prayers that we say because we are continuing the celebration and again, a reminder if you don't have a sukkah of your own, call us a chabaras, and we'll try to get the sukkah mobile to you. But you should also be aware of all of our sukkahs that we've set up around Johannesburg. Many, many sukkahs. If you find yourself in Santon Central, you're most welcome to use our Santon Central sukkah at the Chabad Gunnison Kaina Center at our shul. Beautiful, magnificent sukkah open to the public. You could also use our sukkah at Benmore Shopping Center that we put up. We also have a sukkah at Bluebird Shopping Center. We also have a sukkah at the Grayston Shopping Center. And I'm sure there's many others. Every shul in town has got a beautiful sukkah that you can make usage of. 
Of course, we can get the sukkah mobile to come to you if you're at any of the retirement facilities. Willowbrook has got a sukkah this year for the first time. We have a sukkah at Rankislachta. We've got sukkahs at the Witz University campuses. So we at Chabad have made sure to have sukkahs for you all over the town. It is so easy to perform the mitzvah of sukkah. Just go into the sukkah. Have a little snack, a bite. Bench the lil of an esrug. I can't speak for the other sukkahs, but certainly at the Santon Central Sukkah, we've got lulavim and esrugim right there on the table, ready for you to bench. And ladies and gents, of course, tomorrow will be Shab- tomorrow night, Shabbos. On Shabbos, most of these customs that we observe, some of them, of the Arba Minim, for example, are paused. But the last day of sukkahs is called Hashanah Rabbah. That will be on Sunday. And Judaism teaches that the final judgment related to rainfall during the coming year is made on Hashanah Rabbah. And that's why there are several traditions that are associated specifically with the day of Hashanah Rabbah. So, my friends, there's a couple of customs that you can get ready for Hashanah Rabbah already today. Before Hashanah Rabbah, people make sure to get the five willow branches for each member of your household and you bind them together. And... This is something, you know, there's lots of them for sale because this is something you're going to use in the prayer service of Aishana Rabbah. If possible, we take a strip, a branch of the lulav and we, we strip that branch into narrower strips and we use these narrow strips to bind the five willow sets into single bunches. You could probably buy it ready-made that way. And many have the custom of reading the entire book of Devarim, the entire book of Deuteronomy, and the entire book of Tehillim after nightfall on the eve of Hashanah Rabbah. That's this coming Saturday night. That the Tehillim actually is done after midnight. Whereas the book of Devarim, we start reading from when Shabbos comes out. Before, um, and that's something we do throughout the night. So it's a custom to, to actually stay awake late, and say to him, I have a farbrengen, lots of customs, maybe extra simchas beis eva dancing. Before, on Sunday morning, before saying the halal, many people remove the rings that are directly around the lulav. So we do exactly that. We remove the rings around the lulav. On Sunday morning, this enhances the resulting sound, which we, um, of the, Excuse me, uh, when you're going to clap the Hashanah soon. Okay, after Halal, we do Hashanah. On this day, it's done differently. In the days leading up, in these coming days, like from this past Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, today and tomorrow, we read only one paragraph per day, right? And then we do one uh, circle around the Bima. But on Hashanah Rabbah, we read all seven paragraphs beginning from the first and concluding with the last. And as we read each paragraph, we parade around the table, uh, around the bima, one time for a total of seven circles around the bima. Those seven hakafas around the bima, they evoke the seven times that Jews marched around Yericho, the city of Jericho, before Hashem performed the miracle of shattering its walls many years ago when the Jews were conquering the land of Israel. After the seventh paragraph, we continue as usual, sing and we conclude the Hashanah prayers, which beseech God for a year of plenty, and a year 
of rainfall in the right places and the right times. And that is the custom at the conclusion, at the end of the Hishana prayers, we take a bundle of willows in hand and one strikes the floor with them five times. It's an interesting custom. This symbolizes a level of bitl, of self-nullification, which is greater in the arava, in the willow, than in the other of the four kinds. And especially when it's taken alone, without the other three in hand. And this is indicated by the fact that the unity of the other three minim is expressed within each branch separately in the style of its own growth, but not with the arava. See, the willow, its unity is expressed by the way it relates to the other branches on the tree. And this underlies the power of Eshana Rabbah. It's a day of extreme, call it bitl of self-nullification that results in an intense bonding with Hashem and with each other in the unity of this festivity that we have in Sukkot. So take the time to do so and experience the activation of the five dimensions of, of kindness that were sweetening the judgment when we clap these Hashanahs. Of course, I'm, I'm summarizing a u- unique custom that is done on this day, but it certainly, this is probably the, the final act of the Hashanah Rabbah prayer, which is followed by Musaf. And it's customary then to store your willows and lulav in a safe place until Pesach. Because it was used for a mitzvah, it's best to use them for another mitzvah. So you make the fire to burn the chametz before Pesach. We use the lulav and the aravas as fuel, so to say, for the mitzvah of creating a fire to burn the chametz on Erev Pesach. We'll be right back with some, some concluding thoughts in a few moments. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul Writing on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great to be with you here this afternoon, taking a quick break from the Sukkot festivities as we've been discussing from our Sukkah mobile that is ready to go to wherever you might need and bring the Sukkot's joy to those who don't have their own Sukkah. Ladies and gents, we talked about the, the customs and the mitzvahs of Sukkot. We talked about Hashanah Rabbah. And now let us talk about the final days as the holiday of Sukkot draws to a close after seven festive days of celebration, but it doesn't end there. It rides seamlessly into a new set of festivals called Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. Shmini Atzeres can be translated as restriction on the eighth day. And the simple meaning is that on the eighth day, which is this coming Sunday night, going straight from Hashanah Rabbah into Shmini Atzeret, we celebrate, and that is literally, it's a day of restriction from work activity. But to understand a little bit deeper in the temple, during the seven days of Sukkot, Jews brought a total of 70 bullock offerings to pray for the 70 root nations of the world. Talmud explains, of course, there are more than 70 nations in the world, but since all descend from the children of Noah, and the Torah enumerates 70 nations established by Noah's descendants, so we consider them as the root nations of all people. And so the Jewish nation stands alone when it comes to this final day, because on this day, although we brought sacrifices for all the nations of the world, on Shemini Yatzeres, only one offering was brought to represent our people. Just like, as the Talmud says, 
that you could have a king who's got many diplomats and governors and prominent ministers all over his dominion and invites them to a event. But on the final day of the event, or after everyone leaves, he wants to spend some time with his child alone. And so Shmini Atzeres, we celebrate this time with Hashem. We celebrate the unique relationship between God and the Jewish people. For seven days, every nation of the world was represented in our celebrations. But at the end of Sukkot, when the party is about to end, and we're all about to go back to our usual routines, God asks to remain one more day that we should enjoy an intimate party, a one-on-one celebration with Hashem. And that's called Shemini Hatzeres, the restriction of the eighth day, because after seven days, God asks us to restrict our movement and remain in place for just one more day to celebrate with Hashem. So, yes, we celebrated all these days of Sukkot, and could you believe it, we're halfway through the holiday already today. Now, Shemini Hatzeres is a time when we're going to absorb and internalize all that we have, that we that we achieved and forged with God and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, all those days, and we become integrated with it and suffused by it permanently. And so Atzeres also means to restrict that unbridled flow of revelation by absorbing and internalizing it. And the eighth, Shmini, represents transcendence. Seven represents the cycle of creation. Seven days of the week. Seven is the natural order of things. But eight transcends creation that represents the creator. So Shmini Atzeres means absorbing the transcendent. And so it is a very special holiday. There, we don't, we no longer have to eat in the sukkah, although Chabad custom still is to eat in the sukkah. It is a different, it has a different name. It's not sukkahs. So in the Amida and during Kiddush, we are going to say Shmini Hatzeres HaChagazeh. In fact, we're even going to recite the Brach of Shech Yanu because it's a new holiday and generates its own joy. Outside of Israel, we have an additional day of celebration, and that is Simchas Torah. In Israel, it's two days that join as one, Shmini Hatzeres Simchas Torah. But outside of Israel, here in the diaspora, the last day will be Tuesday, Monday night, Tuesday. We have Simchas Torah, the joy of the Torah, because on this day, we read the last portion of the Torah, which, like I said, in Israel is done already on Shmini Hatzeres. And so we are going to celebrate this conclusion, this culmination of the Torah on Tuesday. So Monday night becomes a tremendous holiday as well. We celebrate at our shul. We're going to have a grand bride. Most shuls do so. And we dance hakafas around the shul. And this would be a time. It's not that we can, it's not like Rosh Hashanah or any, or, or Shavuos when we receive the Torah. But here we are celebrating our experience of the Torah. And we do so once we've concluded learning the Torah, studying the Torah, experiencing the Torah. So this is the time that we do so on Simchas Torah. So I implore everyone to go to shul, to be there for the conclusion of the Torah celebrations as we do so on Simchas Torah. As we discussed before, that this is a time of spiritual bonding with God. And we did so in the past month with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. But now, before we begin the cycle of the Torah reading once again, we want to reveal and revel in the depth of our relationship with God that we experience during Sukkot. And we want to channel this holiness into our routine that is going to now 
continue at least until December in the coming weeks and months of the year. So tap into the joy and the celebration of Simchas Torah. Join in the hakafas, in the singing, in the dancing, in the celebrating. Every time we engage in a mitzvah that takes a while to complete, there has to be a celebration at the conclusion. And especially when we're concluding the Torah. So Simchas Torah is one of the happiest days in the Jewish year. The, the dancing in so many communities lasts well into the night. We don't just celebrate the completion of the Torah cycle by opening up and reading from it because then not everybody would have what to celebrate. Not everybody studied the Torah in the past year. But we celebrate it by dancing with it. The Torah remains closed. It's our way of demonstrating that the Torah belongs to all Jews equally, whether you learned it and understand it, or even if you haven't. Had we celebrated the Torah by offering deep and complex lectures on the Torah, maybe you could say that only the scholars have what to celebrate. By expressing our celebrations in a physical way, everyone from the simple alongside the scholarly is involved in the celebration of the Torah. And so everyone should come and be part of the Torah celebration. Be there on Monday night. Be there on Tuesday. Go to your shul. Join in the celebration in the evening and in the morning and be part of the conclusion of the Torah cycle, study, reading, and celebration as will be done this coming Monday night and Tuesday, Simchas Torah. I think I may have skipped some things out. So Monday, because Tuesday is such a celebratory day, Yiskar, the memorial prayer that we say to remember our beloved departed, will take place on Monday on Shemini Atzeres instead of Tuesday Simchas Torah. And of course, Yisker is an opportunity for us to take a moment to reflect and to connect with our loved ones. We make a pledge to Tzedakah on their behalf because they are no longer able to do good deeds in this world, but we can do so on their behalf. So my friends, be there Monday for Yisker. Be there Monday night and Tuesday for Simchas Torah and unpack all of the customs, all of the joy and celebration of the past month that we all experienced. It's just a few days left of this holiday. So be there to to make sure that you have truly internalized all the joy. And as the month of Tishrei is filled with holidays that we've been celebrating, and each holiday nourishes our soul in its own special way and offers untold large and small experiences that, please God, will sustain us through the year. And we can now take all that joy and infuse it through the rest of the month. As the saying goes, the Yaakov Halach Ladarko, Yaakov embarked on his journey, well, as the song goes, hit the road, Jack, hit the road. The journey of the year begins as we conclude these festivals. And like merchants who have returned from a whole journey, buying all types of nice, expensive, wonderful things. Well, the same thing. We fill our suitcase up with this month, and I'm sure we all want the joy of the past month's festivities to permeate every day of the coming year. Please, God, wishing you all a joyous Simchas Torah, Shmini Atzeres, Shana Rabbah, Shabbos, the rest of Chalamayed, and please, God, a festive, joyous year ahead. Chag Sameach, Moadim B'Simcha. Thank you all for joining us here today. I'm Soul to Soul here, 101.9 Chai FM.